Welcome to the Jewelers Podcast, the podcast that talks to jewelers, retailers, and industry supporters about their experiences and insights into the jewelry industry. The Jewelers Podcast is hosted by Laura Moore and Brett Lowe and is part of the Jewelry Industry Network. Whether you're a jeweler, retailer, supplier, gemologist, valuer, teacher, or student, the Jewelry Industry Network is here to help you build your business in the jewelry industry. Join us today as a free member by visiting jewelryindustrynetwork.com where you can find events, resources, support, and so much more. We can't wait to work with you. Okay, and welcome to another episode of the Jewelers Podcast. Brett Lowe here with my lovely co-host, Laura Moore. How are you today, Laura? Good, thank you, Brett. How are you? Yeah, awesome, awesome. And we're That's lucky good. to be joined again on Zoom today by the mastermind behind Curly Jewelers, uh, Curly Canes. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. Ah, it's great to have you on board. So look, introduce yourself to the audience. Where do we uh, find you today? Well, um, I'm down in Hobart today. It's meant to be a bit of a warm day, but because I live near Mount Wellington and sort of up the mountain a little bit, it's actually quite cold. So um, I'm all rugged up in my home studio. Oh, cold. We've got 40 degrees here, so I can't um, relate to you there. It's strange. We're only a couple of hours away, and yet I'm stifling hot and you are freezing. How weird. I know. Got a jumper on. <laughs> it's bizarre. How's Tassie in the jewellery industry? Lovely? Yeah, it's good. Um, everybody knows everybody because it's such a small place. Um, if you do need anything from a supplier, they're all on the mainland. You need to add a week waiting time to get anything from the mainland, even if you get express post. Um, yeah, just make sure you've got an extra week because some reason it takes a bit of time to get here. Like it's just a little ditch of water, but it just yeah. really delays all our packages. So just go through Melbourne maybe in every case and then, yeah. Oh, that's a good tip. For anybody who's listening, who's from Tassie? <laughs> yeah, well, I guess I guess I, I know you. I've known you, I suppose, for quite some times. But so let, let everyone know you're obviously not um, a Tasmanian born and bred. You're originally from Queensland, hey? That's right. Yeah, up from sweltering hot Queensland. <laughs> yeah. So, so tell us your background there. How'd you get your start in jewellery up here? Uh, well, I grew up in Rockhampton area and I was doing silversmithing at a local TAFE there the teacher was Lisa Gaze and she was amazing she got me really really interested in silversmithing uh, back in 2007 I was mostly interested in making a living as an artist and people were buying the little bits of poop I was making in silver <laughs> um, <laughs> which was all the incentive I needed and validation. So I decided to uh, turn that into a career. And when I moved to Brisbane um, a few years later, I actually couldn't get apprenticeship straight away. And I was encouraged to do the pre-apprenticeship course at the um, South Bank TAFE there with Jane and Lee. So I did that one week pre-apprenticeship course and they put me in contact with a bunch of people who were potentially looking for apprentices and one of the people on that list was Stephen Dib Jewelry so I went down there with my resume and popped in and introduced myself and uh, luckily they sort of knew who I was because Lee and Jane had already sent out um, emails to people saying there's potential apprentices on the prowl so it was a good little lineup and I started like I think it was the next week. How amazing I and mean, what an opportunity too just like Steve's one amazing guy, but then also what a fantastic jeweler and jewelry workshop to be working in as well and, and to get a start there as an apprentice. Like super, super, super fortunate. A lot of envious oh, people out yeah. there. Yeah, and I'm very lucky that I just seem to 
everything fell into place for me. I didn't have to try particularly hard, didn't have to knock on many, didn't knock on any doors really. I just knocked on Steve's door and he welcomed me with open arms. So I'm very grateful that um, I had an easy introduction to the jewellery industry. Yeah, yeah. Look, he obviously saw a lot of uh, potential in you when the time's right, those opportunities present themselves. So so tell us then, you, you started in more of a contemporary space and then to move into the more traditional side side of uh, jewellery and apprenticeship. Like, how did you meld those two worlds together? Well, there was a lot of um, forgetting bad habits, so relearning things. There was absolutely a lot of that, which I was very happy to do because I was just so excited every single day to be rocking up and working in metal. I was just could not believe how lucky I was that that was the job I got to do. And one of my jobs every morning was to sweep the floor and check the sweeps for like gold and gemstones. And it would blow my mind that I'd be picking up diamonds like out of the trash, essentially. It was just, yeah, yeah. I couldn't believe the industry I was working in, literally diamond encrusted floor. Yeah, we get a bit too blase at times, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. But I was, yeah, super, super keen to, to learn everything I could in the trade style and hungry for more knowledge and happy to, well, for the meantime anyway, forget the more... Uh, free artistic stuff but you know I get back into that later <laughs> I love that you're um that you were excited by the floor sweeping securely because one of the things I remember when I was first in um in the workshop not as a jeweler but working in the company um my favorite things were just the swarf and looking at the swarf coming off of like the machines that was just the most incredible thing in the world of the tinsel that would come out of oh, these yeah. like machines and then I remember we did um like a refining cleanup day one day and we dusted the rafters in the ceiling and out of the rafters came six kilos of, of silver wow. just in the dust. Wow. And I was like, this is, in, it was crazy. We're surrounded by, you know, gold and, mm. yeah, as treasure. you said, diamonds and treasure. <laughs> yes, it's treasure. See, it yeah. is beautiful. It's amazing. Six <laughs> kilos. I couldn't believe it. So once you, once you were finished with Stephen Dib, what did you do? Where did you go? How did you move from there? Luckily, a lot of apprentices, when their apprenticeship ends, they sort of lose their job. I've heard that story over and over and again. And I'm very lucky that Stephen Dib, he's a bit of a lifer. He'd like you to stay forever. He, his doors are always open. But if you want to move on, he's more than happy to um, give you the best referral he possibly can and let you leave the nest. So I moved down to Melbourne and started working for another jewelers down there with Steve's blessings and he knew some people and he made all the calls and oh, made the so connections. so nice yeah but I did stay with him for an extra I know it's not much only an extra year after I finished my apprenticeship but it's sort of I feel like you do have to sort of like it's like leaving home right then like the people you worked with were always going to see you as the apprentice, no matter how long you'd been with them, you'd always be the apprentice. So I found I had to move on so that I wasn't going to uh, grow if, yeah, if I was always yeah. um, not necessarily babied, but if I always had that safety net of people around me. One of the people I was working with at Stephen Dibbs was Ewan Riley. Mm. And I got to sit, well, not next to him, but I, I got to sit at the same in the same workshop with him and hear so some of crazy ideas he had about um, making this Facebook group called Young Jewelers, <laughs> uh, which was really awesome. He was like trying to get me to join. Yeah, join the Young Jewelers. We're all apprentices. We all like want to help each other and pretty much bitch and moan about how shit apprentices are. 
um, <laughs> and apprenticeships and how horrible our bosses are and how unfair it is. Um, and then seeing that develop to like, oh, actually, it's kind of like blind leading the blind. Maybe we should introduce some of the um, the more experienced people so that we can get some real world guidance from people who've been around a lot longer. Uh, but I remember it got to the point where there was too many people in the Facebook group and he couldn't change it from Young Jewelers anymore. It was like stuck at Young Jewelers for ages, mm. even though it wasn't appropriately named anymore. But I, I'm forever and always going to call it Young Jewelers because I, I feel like I got to witness the conception of it. It's always going to be Young Jewelers to me. <laughs> yeah, so it only took a couple of months too for Young Jewelers Group to change so quickly from what we originally thought it was going to be to the direction of where it's headed today into something far, far greater and much more important than what we originally thought we were starting. But it's, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it is incredibly important. And yeah, you're one of the lucky ones who were there from the very beginning because you're on the inner circle. So inviting all your friends and, and being a part of it. Yeah, that's right. And and hearing um you and talk about all the annoying people <laughs> that yeah, have to have a bit of a talk to and then trying to get other admins involved because it was so much work for just him. Yeah. Yeah. Got yeah, to hear about all that sort of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to see like the community sort of keeping together with with Jules Co. I think it's lovely that you know there's such a strong um, number of people that are there, and you know we st- we're getting requests still every week. There's like fifty or sixty people every week still going to join. So wow. um, yeah, it's crazy. So it's, it's great though. So if anyone's listening and they're a jewelry industry person and I'd like to be part of the, of the Jules Co head to the website on Facebook and and um yeah. join the brain trust join, yeah <laughs> join the brain trust <laughs> um Kiralee, speaking of brain trust you are a wealth of knowledge and have such an incredible amount of information that you love sharing with people you're doing classes and things all around the country what exactly does that entail and what are you what are you doing well, predominantly I'm teaching the ancient technique of sand casting, but for some reason it's considered contemporary jewelry making, which is bizarre because it is one of the oldest techniques employed to make jewelry. It's a very specialized workshop that I teach. Not many people are teaching sand casting, so I just fell into that little niche, which is um lucky for me. I'm very, very grateful that everybody's so excited to come and learn from me because I love sand casting so much it is like my favorite absolute favorite technique to use and it brings me so much joy to pass that on to people and see them open their mold for the first time and it's a whole complete ring with stones cast in place and suddenly they just light up and they just I can see the possibilities like running past their eyes their mind is exploding with all all the ideas of what they can do with sand casting and it just makes me so happy because I just want to I love it so much I want everyone to have as much happiness and joy as I do (laughs) that's so so nice to hear and and, how did you get into sand casting then because it's not super common in in the traditional jewelry workspace no it's not I learned it very briefly when I was doing silversmithing in Rockhampton and then uh, I think I might have been a third-year apprentice at Stephen Dibbs. AJS catalog came out and had the Delft clay kit for half price. I guess they were really struggling to sell it. And I went, I remember doing that. Oh, this, this could be fun because you lose a little bit of your artistic spontaneity when you're doing trade-style jewellery, when you're working on customer pieces. You, you miss out on just creating something for the sake of creating it. And so Mm. I thought I really missed that part of my jewellery making. 
So I bought the sand casting kit and was just playing around with it, just not really doing too much, but, uh, you know, just dabbling a bit. It wasn't until I moved to Melbourne and I was working for a jewellers there that predominantly did bridal jewellery and it was high-end bridal jewellery, which just means it's six core solitaires and, you know, grain set wedding bands, microcore wedding bands. The men's wedding bands were six mil wide, half round profile, yellow gold, just like their dad wore, you know, and it was like day in, day out of the exact same stuff. No, I don't want to change it. No, I like it just the way it is. And oh my God, it was like paint by numbers for uh, for an artist, right? I was just getting so sick and tired of it. So I was going home at night and I was sand casting because I was just like, screw round, brilliant cut diamonds. I'm going to do heavily textured silver. I'm going to blacken it to really accentuate how not polished this is. And I'm going to use rough sapphires because I want to get as far away from what I do in my everyday life as possible. And it meant that I could sleep at night really well feeling like I'd fulfilled some mm. you know something in my soul like I'd fed myself yeah um but then I had the piles of this therapy jewelry and I had to do something with it um so I was selling it at a local market a Rose Street Markets in um, Fitzroy in Melbourne and I didn't necessarily sell lots of it there it sold all right but mostly it was other makers would come along and see what I was making. They'd see the, the sand cast pieces and just go, how did you do that? Mm. Teach me how to do this. <laughs> and it just like steamrolled from there where I was just teaching one-on-one people at first and then group classes and then being asked to go to places like Kin Gallery in Canberra or mm. Jam Factory in Adelaide. And then I got to thankfully quit the nine to five boring paint by numbers jewelry job. <laughs> and do whatever I want and teach. That's so funny. It sounds like you're the jewelry therapist, and then you started doing therapy for all the <laughs> other jewelry makers out there. Because yeah. it's such a common um problem that we we actually hear quite often, even on the podcast, is you know, jewelers get into it because they're so creative and so passionate about making something that's personal and beautiful, and then you know, because that the commercial side of the business then has to come in, they get stuck with that. You yes. Know, yeah. Having to make the money, right? Yeah, that's right. And so having that outlet to be able to just be super creative is a necessity, I would say, for every jeweler if they're not able to do that in their work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is absolute enjoyment in giving a client something that is a very special piece of jewellery. It's a encapsulation of a memory for them and seeing them just so exuberant and thankful that you're able to give them a physical manifestation of their mm. sentimental moment um I love doing that as well I really do but you need variety well I need variety anyway I can't just always do the one thing because I think as artists we're we're all guilty of having like multiple tabs open in our brains Um, And we're just flicking through them, being like, oh, that project I'm going to do one day and this one over here. But right now I've got to focus on this and I can flick over to that one. And, um, yeah, just keep keep yourself interested. (laughs) It's a a certain personality type that attracts a person to to make jewellery, I think. And then there's obviously different jewellers amongst the community, too. There's those that are quite happy to just cruise and do the repairs or do the solitaires over and over again. But then there's those who really push the boundaries of design and, and you know, like we're artists. When, when I've never really liked the term tradesperson. 
mm. uh, when it refers to us. I think craftsperson is probably a, a bit of a term. And that's something that Stephen Dibb gave me right from the very start. He said, we are artists. And that's what he encouraged and nurtured the whole time through my apprenticeship. I'm so, so grateful for that because I have met a bunch of other jewelers who came through the apprenticeships with me who didn't have that encouragement. And it was all about just like doing the job and getting, making the money, producing the product and kind of you're just a bench monkey. So I'm so grateful that I, yeah, was given more creative, much a more creative environment, but I was still doing, you know, the repairs and the six core solitaires and all that sort of stuff. But luckily every now and then Steve, if he could tell that I was feeling a bit lost, he would throw me um, a stone and say, do me 10 designs for that stone. Cool. And he'll pick one for me to make and it will go in for stock in the window and that was incredibly satisfying and I can't I can't thank him enough for that and I don't know how many people would have that sort of um that sort of apprenticeship yeah that that is fantastic because you you certainly need that outlet to be able to flex your creative muscle and creative brain yeah to to stretch not just do what someone else is telling you all the time Mm -hmm. like I mean you get very good at just doing what people tell you but it's another skill to think for yourself yeah, that's a good tip for other young jewelers coming through out there is to try and stretch your wings and get out from underneath the, the senior jeweler who's who's training you because it is very important still to learn from that person. But sometimes you've got to stand on your own feet and have a go and, yeah. and try and figure it out. Don't just keep asking questions all the time. The best way to um, learn is by doing it yourself and making a few mistakes. <laughs> mm. yeah, it can always be melted down and start again. I know, I love that. <laughs> You're lucky in that regard. Yeah. <laughs> your Instagram page ever get confused with a baking page? Because I often all see all the time. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I have so many comments where people are like, oh my God, I thought this was the video I'm making brownies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm thinking too. And then I watch it and go, oh, hang on, that's Kiralee. That can't be brownies. That's something else. And so then yeah. I keep <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I often thought thought that would be the case. So, yeah, it's very, very interesting. It's the baking tray, right? (laughs) Yeah. And the brown sand and, you know. Yes. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) Makes me hungry. That's so funny. funny. I've never even thought of that and now it makes total sense. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. every time. I don't know. I have to change my mindset now because I'm geared towards thinking of it as a brownie tray. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, if you ever um, got your hands dirty in it, you'd never think of it as brownie again. (laughs) I'd love to do it. Actually, when you're next in Adelaide, let me know. I'll I'll be part of your course. I'd love to. Yeah, awesome. Because I'm going to be at um, Jam Factory, so you should absolutely come along for that. Even if um even if it's just us hanging out one day during the week in between classes, that'd be cool. That'd be great too. Yeah, that'd be really good too. So, so So you do still travel around quite a bit teaching, though, hey? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a massive part of my income. Yeah. Yeah, Getting on the road, getting, because like it's not exactly easy coming from Hobart either, hitting all the the spots around the mainland. Well, I've been doing it so much now that I've got my bag down to um, the perfect weight. So um, I I fly Jetstar um, because they allow you to have 30 kilograms in one checked luggage and that is all of my workshop stuff 
fit in that everything that I need to teach a workshop. And then um, you can buy an extra seven kilograms carry on. So then I have 14 kilograms in total uh, to carry on with me. And that's like my human clothes, you know, like that's mm. my, my, my life stuff. <laughs> yeah. That's so good that you've got to dance the kilo as well. You've got it to a fine art that that's my oh, workshop yeah. bag sorted. Yeah. That's it. Life. It's like autopilot. I'm going, I'm, you know, going away to teach. I just like know exactly what I've got to pack in and just get on the flight and do it. The The trouble is sometimes um, with our environment at the moment, flights can just be cancelled mm. last minute, which does suck. And then you've got to, you know, scramble to get another flight. But, yeah. you know, yeah. and you first world problems, really. Yeah, <laughs> and I think... People have got to understand that situation at the moment. No one can really be too tough on you for that. Yeah, that's right. I always make sure I travel up a day before anyway, give myself some room. Yeah, yeah. So so who do you find is your bulk of, who, who are the bulk of your clients? Are, are they actual jewelers or are they more hobbyists or are they students? Ooh, or? I get a massive mix. Yeah. Um, I, I've tailored my my beginners class to be an introductory to sand casting so anybody can come and do it. Somebody who's never touched a jewellery tool in their life can come and do the sand casting class and leave with three to four pieces finished and wearing them out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do get the people who, you know, maybe they're, they're working some sort of white colored job and they want to do something creative and they just only have time for one day workshops because they're so busy being an accountant or something. And they just want to come in and do something different, completely different. I have those students. I have people who are hobbyists, you know, they, they're sort of like serial workshoppers. I have people who are university students and they are not getting sandcasting covered in their course and they want to do a little bit bit of extra learning. I have jewellers who want to expand on their knowledge because they want to include the sandcasting in their business. I have jewellers who are, like I was, sick and tired of doing six core solitaires and just want to um, get inspired again, fall in love with what they're doing again. Um, And then I, I get... The bigger, even bigger people again who just own businesses, are very successful, making, you know, heaps of money off of their beautiful, beautiful jewellery that's all, you know, high-end, selling at Egiotile, pieces of eight, that sort of stuff. And they just want to do jewellery where they don't have to think about making money. Mm. But wow. yeah, still, still, um, yeah, being creative and doing something in their industry, but just taking the pressure off. So mm. I teach everyone. That's really interesting. <laughs> I teach other teachers, and then they go teach people. <laughs> um, yeah, that's fascinating because I think, like, if you're seeing such a beautiful cross section of people inside and outside the industry, it's it's great that you can then um, not only sort of teach a range of different people, but you can kind of cross over those people so they can be connected with each other as well because you might yes. find hobbyists or students that are looking for a job somewhere and you're actually teaching somebody who might also be looking to employ somebody and all of a sudden you've great you know created this amazing connection for yeah students yeah. and that's yeah. such a powerful position to be in when you're offering you know this piece of education so that's wonderful to hear that you've got such a broad diverse amount of students 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, you're right. There's lots of connections that are made in my classes. Awesome. Awesome for everybody who's there. You know, lots of the time people go, what's your Instagram handle? Let's start following each other. What's your number? Let's chat, mm-hmm. you know, let's meet up. Because um, I always start my classes with like a little break in the ice introductory section where everyone talks a little bit about themselves. And yeah, you get to learn heaps more about the person rather than just you know they're just another person in the class they suddenly have this depth they you know they own a business a jewelry business and like you said they might be looking for staff and then here's this person who's looking for an apprenticeship and it might might work out like that but they might not have never you know connected if they hadn't uh, shared a little bit about themselves yeah, I think more and more things like this, you know, in the industry are just such gold, really, to be honest, to have those, you know, what you're offering and, and different sort of events coming through that, you know, people can actually really connect with each other and 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 learn. And, and I think, too, what, what one of the things that's amazing about you as a teacher is that you have such a breadth of experience, including, you know, winning all these awards because you're an incredible jeweller at every level. Um, so they're actually learning from somebody who is a is a you know well well recognized and very well accomplished uh, fine jeweler. So tell us a little bit about the awards that you've won and, and competitions that you've entered in the past. Oh, well, um, <laughs> like I was saying, I had a very nurturing start to my my career, and Stephen Stephen Deb really encouraged. Um, creativity so he wanted me to enter competitions so the first one I ever entered was the Diamond Guild Awards uh, in the Emerging Talent category and I won that which was um, pretty damn awesome (laughs) Um, it it used to be marked like dog-eared as my um, the best day of my life you know (laughs) because I don't have children haven't been married so that that's was my best day of my life that I'd had um and I've entered a bunch of competitions since then. I did another Diamond Guild, was finalist. Um, actually, one of your other uh, girls you had on, I, was her name Laura? I can't remember now. Um, yeah. But she she actually won. She won yeah. the Diamond Guild the year that I was in it with her. And I, when I was listening to the podcast, I was like, it was you, you won. <laughs> <laughs> but that was here. then I followed her on Instagram and I'm seeing what she's doing. And I was like, you totally deserved it. Like, she's amazing, amazing jewel. I was like, okay, okay. you you deserve it. You won. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Because I was like, who are you? How dare you win? <laughs> But it's good to see when people are still in the industry and still have that passion. Yeah, I want I want everybody to have a win, really, because it just fuels the fire. Uh, and I can't get enough of it because I've entered JAA um, in 2017 in the contemporary category. And I won that category with um, like titanium and um, copper big necklace thing I did that was fantastic then that was my my favorite day of my life uh piece of jewelry I'd love that piece yeah that's beautiful have you seen that piece Brett yeah I remember when it all came out so I I tend to follow all the awards because I like to be inspired by yeah like the more creative side of jewelry and to see what people are doing yeah you see more use of color and different shapes and textures and like you yeah you see a lot more interesting stuff with the competition pieces so uh, yeah, I always follow who's doing what. Congratulations. And what was next? Well, then I entered again in 2019 and I entered the coloured gemstone category. 
I actually, I actually didn't think it was good enough. I was this close to racing back to the post office and demanding my package back and saying, I've made a terrible mistake, give it back to me. Because I was like, I've embarrassed myself with this piece. Because like when you're working, you, you put like hundreds of hours into these competition pieces and you see every teeny tiny little thing that ever went wrong with it and you can't see the whole picture. And so I was so focused on all the mistakes I'd made and thinking that everybody was going to see all the mistakes that I'd made. hundred percent convinced I wasn't even going to be finalist. And so when the awards came out and I won the category, I was just so happy. I won the category. Oh my God, I won the category. Oh. Next minute I won jeweler of the year. I was at a pub doing trivia while I was watching the live stream <laughs> announcement. And I was just in the corner with my headphones in and then when I realized I'd won, I just started screaming, oh, my God, I won, I won. I was, like, jumping up and down. And people in the trivia room were looking at me. They're like, we haven't even finished yet. I was like, no, it's like, you, not doing something else. <laughs> I know. And then I fell to the floor and I started crying. Oh, how funny. Because I was just like, how could I have gone from thinking it was an embarrassing yeah. piece that I'd made and that people were going to be like, Oh, I can't believe she entered this. I can't believe she put this in here. Who the hell does she think she is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to going from that to, oh my gosh, it was the best thing that they saw that year. It was just yeah. sudden, you know, any anytime I have a moment where I doubt myself and I go, am I really meant to be a jeweler? You know, like you have those days where you just make mistake after mistake and you just go, am I cut out? Is I meant to do this? Is this what I'm meant to do? And then I just remember, you know what? You won Jeweler of the Year. I think you're all right. I think you're okay. <laughs> so um, to this day, that's still my my favourite moment in my life, winning Jeweler of the Year. Yeah, that's pretty massive and well-deserved. Like, and it's good to put yourself out there and you've been doing it since you were an apprentice and since you were you know, young in the, in the trade and in the industry. So it's, uh, yeah, good on you. It's addictive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's so good. Yeah, congratulations. I remember we spoke to Debbie Sheasel um, yes. about her enamelling um, a while back and she she used to enter competitions as well, slightly different ones, and and um, would win them as well. But often thought, oh, I, didn't, I don't like this piece very much, but maybe somebody else will. And so she sort of had to go through this barrier where she would make this piece and often it didn't quite resonate with her, but she'd find that there would always be people that it resonated with. And I think that's a really interesting thing about jewelry yes. and art in what you know you guys can create because it may not be to your personal taste or it definitely is but it's not to somebody else's personal taste it's it's a, such an objective um thing so yeah put it out there get it you know enter competitions you just never know because somebody you never know will absolutely <laughs> <laughs> absolutely like i learned that when i was um selling at rose street markets so i was trying to find my market I guess I was trying to find my people and so I was trying different things like the sandcast pieces weren't selling particularly well at the market so I started um, making pieces with twigs so um, getting organic burnouts of twigs and turning that into silver twig jewelry with um, rough sapphires that did better and then I started thinking all right this is the next thing I'll make this thing I'll go yeah for sure for sure people love this nobody will buy it 
but I'll make something with some like offcuts and some scrap bits and just go, oh, what the hell? Oh, well, I'll put it on the table. Let's see what happens. Go. It sells straight away. What the hell? <laughs> so um, what I learned from doing the markets is that you don't know, that you don't know the market. You just, you just have to be, actually, I was having a discussion with Eleanor from Arbo just this morning. You just have to be really honest. You just have to make things that you love with your passion and your, I guess, your artistic belief, and people will respond to the honesty of your work. It's almost like they can tell when you're trying too hard to, like, please the market. And even if they don't love it like you do, at least you've had your creative experience. You can, exactly, yeah. You enjoy doing it. So That's it. Mm. You just can't go wrong by doing something you love. Absolutely, yeah. Hi, hi. High five. High five. <laughs> yeah, put, put it out there. Just have a go. Yeah, absolutely. So you've got an interesting fusion of contemporary versus fine. Um, what are your thoughts in regards to the contemporary jeweler and the fine jeweler? And there's obviously a mix of need or a market in between. It's not much a need of a market. It's more of a need for the two types of creators to have a space where we can meet. And I think Gin, Jeweler Industry Network, is a really great place for that to happen, sort of bridging that gap between self-taught and art jewelers and university jewelers and trade style jewelers, because there's this like massive gulf in between. It's really bizarre. I see it in my classes a lot, you know, people will come introduce themselves and they'll be like, oh, I'm not really a jeweler. I'm just, I'm, you know, I, I'm self-taught or I've done university and I'm not really a jeweler and they have to like dumb themselves down for some mm. reason, not all the time, but, you know, they if there's like a real jeweler, in quotation marks, a real jeweler in the room, they're suddenly like, oh, I'm not a real jeweler because that's a real jeweler. It, mm. It's really bizarre. We all work with metal. We're mm. all jewelers. Like there's different styles of jewelry making, absolutely, but we're all jewelers. And I think having a safe place like going to the jewelry industry, networking and having a, a few beverage jars and having a chat we'll realize that we're all yeah we're all doing the same thing we're all here for the same reason we love working with the materials mm. yeah that, that's yeah. one of the things I actually miss not being in the cities anymore too like because I now live on the Gold Coast but when I lived in Brisbane um guys like uh, Dan I can't think of what his last name is now and Matt Dwyer like they would put on industry nights and it would be predominantly contemporary jewelers yeah, uh, and awesome. whether whether it be an exhibition or a talk or, or they'd be putting on some sort of courses, maybe in fold forming or something. I've done quite a few of their events. And like you say, the real jeweler, like I, sometimes I felt a little bit outcast being there because I was from that space, yeah. but, but I didn't care about any of that. Like I was there to learn just like they were there to learn and, and enjoy the evening. And I've and made a weird. lot of good contacts in that space. Yeah. yeah thing because like what determines real and not like there's a great there is a, as you said a void but also I've heard people on threads and in person you know say yes I'm not a real jeweler same experiences purely to say that they're telling me they're not a real jeweler and that yet yeah, I'll say well what are you working with and they'll say oh silver and gold so they are working in fine metals and precious metals but they still don't consider themselves a real jeweler and I don't know what that means in people's heads is it because they're not they're not professional and they're not selling those pieces or because they're not 
working for an established uh, jewellery store or what is the barrier in their minds to think that they're not actually a real jeweller and how does that overcome? Because there's clearly a lot of people in the industry who fit that category of not recognising their achievements or recognising what they are skilled in, but how do we break that down, I suppose? More and more people are coming from university backgrounds, from self-taught backgrounds, particularly with access to amazing online tutorials and Mm. workshops like Lucy Walker and Peter Keep, to name just two. (laughs) Myself (laughs) as well. (laughs) So more and more people are going to become jewellers without having to go through the trade style things and that there's always something to learn like it doesn't matter if you've gone through trade school you're not going to know how to metal folding or sand casting or you know these these techniques that are considered contemporary or art style jewellery like there is an amazing skill involved in those techniques mm. that the person who just does six school solitaires and half-round wedding bands just won't know anything about. Mm. And even trade school, you know, there's a set number of courses that are taught within those three, four years. It doesn't teach you everything at all. You don't learn metallurgy to the level that you need maybe to do with different things. You don't learn about, or I don't think so, about like diamond knowledge even. There's a range of gaps that are in that course that then you can continue on with your study. But it does mean you're right that, you know, just because you've gone to one educational institution or multiples or whatever, you don't, you're never going to know everything. Lots to learn in this ancient craft. (laughs) Absolutely. It's absolutely endless. It's like a a rabbit warren Mm. of possibilities. And I think um, the JA Awards offering the contemporary category is a fantastic step to be inclusive like that because not all self-taught jewelers or art jewelers or even just apprentices or people who are just uh, enthusiasts and hobbyists can afford to you know go into the diamond category um, or into the colored stone category or precious metal even so having the contemporary category means you can still flex your creativity and your um, workmanship with metals or with contemporary materials um, and still get all that acknowledgement and be in the same yeah, in the same space as all these real jewellers, you know. I think it's a wonderful step and we need to do more of it, more supporting, you know, more just having each other's back. I agree. It's great to see. I always watch who's winning what and what, what the entrants are. So I'll be interested to see what happens in that space uh, with the coming awards. Are you entering yeah. this early? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Oh, so cute. because I'm such an advocate for the um, contemporary category because I believe in it so much, um, I think it's that bridge that we need and we must absolutely keep offering it. So because that I have to enter into that category and I'm also <laughs> going to enter into like maybe coloured stones. We'll see. Oh, good. Um, I, I think it would be uh, absolutely fantastic, not necessarily the year I enter, but if the jeweller of the year was uh, somebody who made a contemporary piece of jewellery. I think that would just be awesome. <laughs> oh, very good. Very good. Well, I'm thrilled to hear that you're going to be entering this awards because we're going to have them on display at our Sydney trade fair in August, which is going to be really exciting. So when you have your piece yes. ready, people can come and see it uh, in the flesh um, at um, at the Jewelry Industry Network fair in August, which is very exciting. So we'll see you there, Kira Lee, as well. With, yeah, uh, well, now I have to go, won't I? <laughs> yeah. August 26th, 27th, you got to make your way to Sydney. Yeah. Yes, yes.
I'll have to make sure it's in my diary, right? Please, everyone check it in your diary. It's 26, yeah, 26, 28 it. of August. Beautiful. Kiralee, it is just such a pleasure to chat to you and to hear more about your story and, you know, your accomplishments and, and we you know keep watching your career as it just completely skyrockets. <laughs> we keep watching your career as it just catapults from success to success and we just absolutely love having you as part of the Jules podcast this episode, but also just as part of the network as well. Just it's, it's an absolute pleasure knowing you. So thank you for being part of our episode. Thank you for inviting me on and um, taking the time to chat to me about me. <laughs> uh, it's been great to have you on. Um, once again, Kira Lee Keynes of Kira Lee Jewellery. And if anyone wants to f- check out your sand casting workshops, I'm sure they, you list them all online. What are they, what's, what's the best place? Do they go to your Instagram, Facebook? Oh, or? yeah, go to Instagram if if you'd like because um, I have a lot of content on there. So if you're even interested in what the hell sand casting is and what you can do with it, you go on there. Brownies. And how to make brownies, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, go to the Instagram. I have a lot of content there. Beautiful. Fantastic. Thanks again for having, for joining us today, Kira Lee. And uh, until next time. Until next time. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. Please hit subscribe to the Jewelers podcast so that you don't miss our next episode. You can get in touch with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just search for Jewelers podcast. See you next time.